Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which of course is a podcast talking about fantasy football and I'll tell you, I think we're going to have the greatest show in the history of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast today. Uh, not just because we have Scott Pienowski hosting, but we have Andy Barons wearing the Chicago garb. He's already gone all in on their first round pick, and we're getting his chestnuts today. We're going to break down what's gone on in the NFL draft, focusing on rounds two and up. Of course, our Liz Dalton and, and Matt, our esteemed colleagues, already broke down round one on Friday, so go check that out if you need to get a refresher course. We will talk a little bit about the quarterbacks in round one. But first of all, from the uh, the weight room in in Chicago, he just <laughs> broke all the Illinois Pro Day records. Uh, you know, the best athlete I think came out of uh, Illinois, out of, out of Iowa in about 30 years, Andy Barons. Aloha. Oh, uh, hello. Um Yeah, I'm excited. This was, this was as satisfying an NFL draft as just – Speaking purely from the perspective of a Bears fan, as I can recall, we we'd started with the Aaron Rodgers fiasco, which is just a gift that is going to keep on giving. And then they did a thing that I didn't expect them to do. And I'm really excited about it. I love Justin Fields. I, I could not be happier with this draft. Yeah, you know, it was a draft of things that normally we don't see. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan and they're they never eat their birthday cake. They always say, oh, well, we'll save it for next year. <laughs> they trade down. They trade down. They trade down again. Dave Gettleman, famously with the Giants, never trades up. All of a sudden, you know, get, get, I'm sorry, never trades down. All of a sudden, Gettleman is, is trading down like crazy. Uh, and, you know, we Patriots took a quarterback in the first round. We'll talk about that a little bit. But, uh, again, Liz, Matt, and Dalton did talk extensively about round one. But because you're a Bears fan, because I'm a Patriots fan, and because our team's just added quarterbacks, I just feel like the the world is demanding our hot takes on where <laughs> our franchises are going. So, yeah, I don't know when the Super Bowl shuffle is going to be remade um, the, the, into a field shuffle or something like that. But uh, to tell me, tell me where the Chicago Bears franchise is headed now. Yeah, well, first of all, they're going to be recording if if they go like two and zero in the preseason. It's it's time to re-record <laughs> the shuffle. I think um, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I actually the at least with respect to the Bears, we have had a. I don't. I don't know if I want to call it full news or reporting, but we've had you know the the story has developed a little bit further since Liz, Matt, and Dalton podcasted. In that we had Ian Rappaport very directly saying that the Bears' intention was to play this out like you know out that that one year of Alex Smith playing ahead of Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, and and that just strikes me as so untenable for the for the Bears like that. That's a nice idea, but 
you know, that that Chiefs team was good. That Chiefs team won the division. They won they won 10 games. They they were they were a very good football team with Alex Smith. There's no indication that the Bears are going to be a very good football team with Andy Dalton. You know, it's not like it's not as if every other piece is in place. And this is a clear division leader. And the the, the clamor for Justin Fields, like everybody's as excited as I am or more excited about Justin Fields. There's unanimity on this. And the fan base is going to want to see him as soon as possible. He was I like I know he technically goes 11 in the draft, but he could have very well been a top three pick. In fact, I would argue, actually, that if he had just opted out last year um he would have he would have gone higher in this draft right he was coming off an incredible 2019 season so like i'm ready to see him like i've i've seen enough andy dalton over the years and he's fine he's totally fine but you know this franchise just sort of uh flipped the script in an amazing way there was absolutely no buzz around the bears at all and now there's a ton of buzz around the bears and they're just not gonna be able to sit fields for the full season wow i mean andy, andy pulling out the heavy the heavy ten dollar words. And I I'm cost, not even sure we can. I'm not even sure we can say this on the podcast. So producer Brett will have to make a call on that. But <laughs> you make a great point. You make a great comparison with outlining how different it was with Kansas City. Where I mean, I think Alex Smith was fantasy quarterback for the year that they basically gave Patrick Mahomes a post grad year. They said, okay, yep. look, just, just learn, get your feet wet. You know, you know, get get housing set up, learn where everything is in the building. And you know, we saw him make that debut in Week 17, playing with almost a skeleton crew next to him at Denver and he looked great. And that was a, a really excellent tip off that Patrick Mahomes was going to be something special. And of course he, he blew the league up the next year, one MVP. I think the Patriots might be in a situation where maybe they could be a playoff contender with Cam Newton. I've, I've kind of had it with the Cam Newton experience. I look, the, the, the guy, he won an MVP. He was, I think an, definitely a win as a number one overall pick. He went to a Super Bowl. you know, had plenty of, of great regular season, you know, NFL seasons and fantasy seasons but he's been beat up a lot. There aren't great skill uh, position players in New England. I, I know they have, they've probably the best tight ends in the league if you want to look at a tandem. Uh, not that if anybody matches up with Kelsey or Kittle, I'm not, I'm not silly like that. But they have two really good tight ends that they've invested in. I don't like the receivers here. I'm curious. I, I get the idea that they're going to start the year with Newton. And that's a matter of, okay, if they are a four and five at one point, why, would, why wouldn't they want to play Mac Jones? And, and just get, get started to whatever the next incarnation of your team is. It's interesting that both of our you, you talked about how Fields easily could have gone as high as three, right? I, I think he was in play at one point with the 49ers. I mean, the 49ers had a, seemed to have a lot of fun teasing us about what they were going to do. At one point, Mac Jones <laughs> in the betting market was like minus 400, minus 500, yeah. something like that. So you know, they did a nice job. And look, no team should ever tell us anything about anything. I get it. I mean, what what's the incentive? What are you gaining from that? I think most teams know that the media is to be used and distrusted and all that. It's, it's frustrating, but it is what it is. But at least I think both of our franchises can feel pretty good about the idea that we took a quarterback that had they gone several slots higher, nobody would have batted an eyelash. Oh, no, that's absolutely true. I'm pretty like they're both teams are in the same situation as well in that, like stylistically, the the starter is so different from the the mm. rookie who we expect to come in. Right. So like when that transition happens, it's not going to be it's not going to be seamless. It's going to be interesting and it's going to require great coaching. And I know Belichick is up for it. I know the Patriots are up for it. I don't, I, I have bigger questions about whether Matt Nagy and the Bears coaching staff is up for that exact transition because it did not go well last year when they tried to go seamlessly from Mitch to, to Nick Foles. Yeah, this is, I want to get your take on just how much you like Mac Jones as a prospect. 
I think he's actually a perfectly fine, you know, solid plus athlete. But we're at a time where the position has become so uber athletic that it's easy to say, oh, okay, well, this guy isn't Kyler Murray. This this guy isn't Lamar Jackson. This guy isn't Russell Wilson. This guy isn't Josh Allen. You know, he doesn't. He's not going to blow you away. If they had a combine, Mac Jones wouldn't have blown anybody away at the combine. But I don't think he's Joe Flacco. I don't think he's somebody yeah. who you know is, is going to. You need three weeks to do the do the shuttle run. I I, th- I think he's athletic enough for the position. He's just not going to be at the top of the class in that area. My main concern with him is the receivers he's going to be throwing to. But are you optimistic? Let's be let's be realistic here. Okay, now you know th- for every Patrick Mahomes we get in the NFL draft, we get a lot of Andy Dalton's, a lot of Joe Flacco's, a lot of Mitch Trubisky's. It's much easier to stink in the NFL or be mediocre in the NFL than it is to be great. But I don't know. I, for once, the, the Patriots, again, I talked about they love to trade down and they love to take guards and tackles and, and safeties. And they love to take things that don't have immediate juice to a franchise. Like, I'm not somebody who needs to be placated with the exciting fun pick, but it's nice for once that they took an exciting fun pick. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I'm I'm pretty bullish on Mac Jones. And there's a there's a disconnect between like what plays really well in fantasy and what wins in the NFL, right? Like as as fantasy guys, we don't even get excited about like if a pocket passer is going to throw for forty five hundred yards, we're not we're not into it. <laughs> you know, like that's right, a, right. Did, that's did, a did great we, season. Did, did people jump up and down about the Philip Rivers experience, right? I mean, he's a right, he right. a borderline Hall of Fame career. Right, but Absolutely. he was never. We never like had Philip Rivers programs. We never had like a week of Philip Rivers. It just and, just and you never you never won a space. fantasy league because Philip Rivers, even when he was you know phenomenally efficient, and even in his best years, you weren't winning your fantasy league because you had Philip Rivers. Now we have all these guys who are also going to run for five hundred to a thousand yards, and so the fantasy conversation is one thing, but clearly a great pocket. I mean, because it's just happened, and you look at the quarterbacks who've been in the Super Bowl repeatedly, they are like in very recent years, they're all great pocket passers, first and foremost. That still wins in real life, and I I, I kind of think Mac Jones can be that. It's it's you know it's always tough with guys who who have I mean this is this is a case of a of a quarterback who legitimately had better receivers in college. That's not even a joke to say that he had a better receiving core in college than he probably has right now. But we did see him. I mean, he played in the SEC, and we we saw Mac Jones get heated up a few times, and he was like he he did okay under pressure. Like it, he didn't have the ocean of space around him. And I talked about this with Thor Nystrom uh, a week ago on the pod. Like he didn't have the just absolute ocean of space around him that Zach Wilson did. Like we've seen Mac Jones tested by a real pass rush, and we've seen him under duress. And he, he's coming off a near perfect season, so I'm pretty bullish on him. And that's what you want to look for. I I don't design to be an NFL scout, but you learn about these players by how they do under duress, how they do yeah. when they get hit, how they do when they're. I, I used to joke that Matt Liner never, they never laundered his jersey at USC. He was always in a clean <laughs> pocket and throwing to a guy with no defender in the screen. You know, I mean, that's, that's yeah. great. Everybody can complete those passes. And you find out about these players when they actually get hit in the NFL. When, you know, Greg Cosell always talks about what, what is open in the NFL is totally different than what's open in college. And that will determine how successful these guys are. Let's transition to kind of a, a fantasy breakdown of, of how the positions spilled out from rounds two to seven, try to get an idea if any of these guys are going to become instant impact players for our fantasy lives. We'll start at the running back spot. I thought Javante Williams was a great pay. I, look, we know that running backs don't go in the first round a lot. There were a couple of them this year, but when Denver moved up to get Javante Williams moving in front of some teams that wanted to grab him. I, I thought it was a really nice move. Of course, Denver still has the same problem that I always say that I, I love all their skill talent. I don't know what they're doing at quarterback. I, 
I'm not a lock guy. We'll, we'll see if Teddy can turn into anything. I, I don't know that a Rogers trade is realistic, but you would think they would be players in that if that ever became a factor. But I do like Javante Williams a lot as a, as a pile mover. And also a guy at North Carolina, I like that he split time. I like that he came out early. Age is a big thing yeah. for running backs. Like, like Najee Harris makes me nervous because he, he stayed in college for a long time. You know, he's an older running back. Javante Williams is a younger back. He doesn't have that much mileage on him. Pile mover, a guy who doesn't go down on first contact that often. I think Denver made a great pick here. I thought Denver's draft was a little weird, right? And I thought that they drafted as if they already had Aaron Rodgers on the roster. <laughs> they, just have, they just have a funny roster. Like, it's a good defense, and it's a good coaching staff, and they have all these skill position players that we like. They have a ready-made receiving core, like, just to plug in an adequate quarterback, and you've got a really fun offense. They also very clearly don't have an adequate quarterback on the roster. Like, I don't know how bullish anybody is on, on Teddy Bridgewater, but he's not, you know, in my view, Teddy Bridgewater is not a top-20 NFL quarterback, and they've They've sort of behaved as if they they have everything and every pick is just a luxury and they're ready to win. And I like they don't have a quarterback. And I thought they were a serious threat to take a quarterback in the first round. I'm I'm surprised that they didn't do it. Maybe they do still end up with with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. That seems um, more plausible by the day. But like I thought I thought the pick was fine. I, I think Javante Williams is a good player. I tried to I tried to steer Thor toward this uh, position a week ago, and he wasn't really having any of it. But I do feel like you know we we look at Javante Williams and and both he and Michael Carter, who both played at Carolina, they had these gaudy missed tackle totals. And when you watch them, like they're stepping through a lot of tackle attempts by. I don't mean to slam the conference too much, but like. You're not wowing me if you if you evade 10 tackles against Syracuse and 12 against Duke. And like, you know, there's just there's a lot of film where they look like superheroes and I get it, but they are not facing anything remotely close to NFL quality competition. And sometimes I see I see their tape and I think, hmm, that is definitely a tackle in the NFL. Like you're that run doesn't exist for you in the NFL. And that guy shouldn't have touched you. Like maybe it's even a bad sign that that became a missed tackle, that he even got close enough to to lay hands on you. So I don't uh, he's good. He's he's really good. He was clearly one of the top three running backs in this draft class. I don't mean to I don't mean to slam him, but I do think that when we overemphasize something like a miss like miss tackles to me is is the most like we really need to contextualize that when we talk about it um less so in the nfl itself but when we're talking about it with a college player like who did who are you facing like that it that means a lot to me when we're talking about uh, elusiveness in college um i i like javante williams it's not to me in my view it's not the best landing spot because it, his best case scenario is he's splitting a workload with melvin gordon it obviously kneecaps melvin in a big way and it's not you know javante could have landed in atlanta or with the jets or even plausibly with the steelers or dolphins where we would have said oh oh he's got a shot at 250 touches and he just doesn't have a shot at that here I have two takeaways for that. One, um, your very reasonable take on the, on the quality of competition that North Carolina faced and, and how good somebody may be coming out of that. I have to feel there's a little bit of Trubisky PTSD that's coming out there. When, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've, you've seen a player excel in that Ouch. conference before and you're like, oh man, you know what happened in the NFL? So I think we have to speak to some of that. I just want to say there's that arrow hit its mark. You're probably right. Um, I, I, I feel the truth of what you're, what you've just said. Yeah, there's some, there's some truth in that. I also want to be careful with 
with this whole draft experience and how we apply it to fantasy, especially when we get past round one, I think I think it's called the endowment effect. I, I may have that wrong, but there's a theory that the longer you wait for something, the higher the expectations are for that. Like you know, if, if I happen to see you on your birthday out of the blue and said, oh, hey, Andy, I got a birthday present for you. You'd be like, oh, great, thanks. And you'd open it up and that would be it. But if I told you nine months in advance that I had a birthday present for you, you know, then you'd have nine months to think about it and expectations get placed on it. It's like if you watch, walk into a movie that you're interested in, okay, maybe the movie's great, maybe it's not. But if you get to a movie after everybody else has seen it and they've told you it's the greatest movie in the world, then if the movie isn't the greatest movie in the world, you, you walk out, you're kind of disappointed. I think what happens sometimes with fantasy prospects, especially when we've seen – because for years, the play was just fade rookies. Let somebody else be the sucker – in the last few years, we've seen the college game, the pro game. They're moving closer together, and a lot of rookies yeah. have been impactful right away. And now we, we have more rookie and draft and combine when there is a combine coverage than we've ever had before. You can't get away from it. And I think if you're going to spend all this time analyzing prospects, I don't think you're going to come away with, oh, these guys all stink, don't draft any of them. I think there's just a natural inclination to think that somebody is special in here and as an overall, as a group, I don't think I'm going to be drafting a lot of rookies. I, I don't see that many guys who are going to make a splash. I, I'm sure I'm missing some players who maybe landed in better spots than I realized, or maybe they were what they're really good at was shielded in college and it's going to be unleashed in the NFL. But I don't think my seasonal teams are going to maybe have as many rookie, you know, rookie players that they might normally. I, I look at the next running back who's on our sheet here, Trey Sermon, perfectly good player at Ohio State, no question of competition there. He goes to San Francisco, and we know what Kyle Shanahan loves to do. He loves to throw a platoon. He's like the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, bullpen. He throws it at you. Okay, we got all these fire-breathing dragons, and, and one day it could be Mostert. One day it could be Sermon. One yeah. day it could be Wilson. Uh, there's just going to be a lot of different – there's going to be a lot of players who have 135-yard, two-touchdown games. I don't know how you're ever going to be able to time the market with that. Yeah, Sermon is tough for me because on the one hand, I can make a case that this is this draft choice is a signal that they they just have very little faith in Mostert's ability to to remain healthy over a full season. Um, obviously, they like Jeff Wilson quite a bit, and he played some wonderful games last year. You're right; they do seem to be able to get 150 yards out of almost anybody. So that's that's a thing. I really like Trey Sermon, and some some of this is just you know I get fixated on individual games, but obviously his performance against Northwestern was was one of the and and then Clemson too. Like we talk a lot about how great Justin Fields was against Clemson, but but Trey Sermon blew him up as well over two hundred total yards, like I think two hundred and fifty total yards. So he in the biggest games that they played, he was he was just absolutely phenomenal, and and there is a scenario in which Trey Sermon gets like 180 touches, 200 touches as a rookie and and could plausibly be, if not the number one rookie back, the number two rookie back. Like I, I'm having a tough time. So like I want to, I want to just have a quick knee jerk. Hey, here's my top five rookie dynasty picks. And I'm, I'm really sweating, you know, Trey Sermon versus Travis Etienne versus Michael Carter like it's a it's a tough group because you've got the you've got the the perfect setting for a player like Trey Sermon but maybe not the route to to a huge workload and then you've got some of these other guys who are maybe the setting isn't great but they have a path to 250 touches yeah let's talk about Carter uh, the other North Carolina back who landed with the Jets in round four doesn't seem like a lot of competition there so maybe it's plausible that that he could be a better fantasy player right away than Williams just because he's going to have an easier path to touches yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of how I feel like the Jets had a good but 
you know, in, in some ways perplexing draft at a, at a couple of spots. And we'll get into that when we start talking about the receivers, I guess. But uh, uh, I, but I really like the Carter pick and they waited too. like they didn't you know, the Jets were a real threat to take a running back, you know, at, at the top of, of round two. They waited. They still got a really good player in Carter. Actually, for what it's worth, like he outrushed uh, Javante Williams and Javante Williams is everybody's favorite player at, at, at the running back position out of this draft. Carter outproduced him and also had a crazy, you know, and I think this has a lot to do with conference, but also had a crazy missed tackle total last year and was plenty evasive and plenty productive. So I think Carter's really good. Tevin Coleman, who's like the other main back with the with the Jets right now, is the one guy who never blew up in San Francisco, right? So like that's his, if that's your main competition, I feel really good about Carter's chances to get um to get a pretty huge workload as a rookie and and I think he's in that conversation for like the number 2 rookie uh dynasty back. I also thought the Eagles did get a pretty good value in round 5 when they took Kenneth Gainwell who had a second or third round grade in some other people's boards. Of course there's already some good running back talent in Philadelphia. Do you think Gainwell could be a fantasy factor this year? I feel like I'm going to have within the fantasy community, maybe a contrarian take on this. I thought it was I thought this was really good news for Miles Sanders, like because there there were there were plenty of rumors from Philadelphia reporters in the in the days leading up to the draft that they could take a day two running back. And obviously the day two running backs were guys like, you know, Javante and Carter and Sermon. Trey Sermon landing with Philadelphia would have been a real threat to Miles Sanders. And I I think I think Kenneth Gainwell is a real threat to Boston Scott. I don't I don't think this impedes Miles Sanders in any sort of huge way. Now the the crux of that argument though is whether Miles Sanders can catch the ball. <laughs> um cuz that cuz that's what we think Gainwell can do really well. He is not an inside runner. He he's one of these guys that put up great stats like everybody at Memphis does. You know, there's always a Memphis running back that we fall for and sometimes it's legit and sometimes it's not, but Tony Gibson always- is legit, sure. Right. Gibson, legit. And then we're still kind of waiting on Daryl Henderson, right, who was going to be a superstar by now. And and there's just like it's a it's a team and a system that is going to produce some guys. Um, we, we know that Gainwell can can catch the ball. We also know that 2019 Miles Sanders could catch the ball. He had 50 receptions and 2020 Miles Sanders could not catch the ball. <laughs> he, had a, he had a bunch of drops and he, in fairness to him, a bunch of inaccurate passes, too. So, like, it's one of those like we need the real Miles Sanders to emerge I do feel strongly that Miles Sanders with the ball in his hands is much better than Gainwell. So I just don't I don't I don't think he's a huge threat, um, but it's not really important what I think. It's more important what the Eagles think. And I but I just think the fact that they waited until pick 150 to take a back tells you a lot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sanders would have to anybody owning Sanders in a dynasty league got what they wanted. There wasn't an early it wasn't a, a first two day pick in the backfield. What's well, always going to be hard for offenses that have athletic mobile quarterback assuming Jalen Hurts is the quarterback in Philly I don't know why he wouldn't be you know it's a gift and a curse he can run and he's gonna stretch the field you know horizontally and should open up running lanes for Miles Sanders but he's also a lot of times when passing plays break down you would think he would run it's very easy to see Hurts scoring anywhere from five to ten rushing touchdowns which are touchdowns that you know a Sanders can't score so it's it's one of those chicken egg things where I, I think when you see a running back link up with a mobile quarterback, it's going to be somebody saying, "Oh, great! Look, the lanes are going to be so wide, and the other team has to worry about the the legs of the quarterback, and that's so great." And it's like, well, yeah, but 
a lot of the, a lot of those dividends go to the quarterback too, you know. So I, I never really know if, if that's more of a net positive or a net uh, negative for the for the primary back on those teams. I, I will say that every game that Miles Sanders played with Jalen Hurts, and I, I, this may have only been three games, but I, I want to say that he went over eighty scrimmage yards in all of them. Had a huge game uh, in in Hurts's first start. So like it was the best game of Sanders' season. I want to say I don't have the box score in front of me, but like, but he was really good with Hurts. So if we get you know fourteen fifteen games out of Miles Sanders with Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback, I like I feel that can lead to fifteen hundred scrimmage yards. If you have a take on these teams, I'm curious to hear it. There were some franchises that had, I thought, a screaming need at running back that didn't do anything about it. Uh, Miami really didn't do anything uh, special at running back or Atlanta. Gaskin is is still in Miami. We saw Ahmed had a moment or two late last season. I I guess Mike Davis right now is at the top of the Atlanta running back depth chart. I I can't imagine that's going to be true come September, but you never know. And remember, look, if there's one position where undrafted players, you know, for skill guys, you want to really pay attention to, it's running back. I mean, you know, Arian Foster wasn't drafted. You know, Terrell Davis went in round six. I, this is a position, especially as it's been de-emphasized in the draft, is going to be quality players who are added and signed. Uh, do you have a Miami or Atlanta takeaway as we, we kind of try to figure out what they're doing at running back? Yeah, huge win for Miles Gaskin, who was actually just really, really good on a per game basis last year. And I know he didn't he didn't give us a full season, but he averaged over 90 scrimmage yards per game. Maybe maybe the touchdown total wasn't exactly what you wanted it to be, but he was really productive, as productive as any team can possibly hope for. He's he's not an expensive player. So I I thought actually Miami, Miami, Miami had a pretty good running back situation overall last year. That was certainly not the reason that, you know, if you're a Dolphins fan, you're not pointing at the backfield and saying, that's what's holding us back. That's why we didn't win the division. So I, I thought they exercised pretty nice discipline there. It, it's just a huge win for Gaskin as a, as a fantasy asset, as a dynasty asset. I thought he was one of the clear winners of draft weekend. And I doubt that they add somebody because they I mean, they had opportunities. They certainly had plenty of picks and they they could have uh, they could have easily snagged one of those top four running backs. Didn't do it. Um, I think it's a clear win for him. And there's there's also not there's not that many guys lingering out there. Right. It's like Adrian Peterson still wants to play. Um, Maybe Duke Johnson is still out there, but there's not like there's not some shoe that that has yet to drop that is going to completely change a backfield. So I think, I think both Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin are pretty safe. Um, I think Gaskin is the guy who really has the workload to himself while he's healthy. I, I, I would be a little bit surprised if, if Atlanta sees Mike Davis as just a 20 touch all season sort of guy. But I, but I do believe that Miami sees Gaskin that way. Let's transition to the receiver position. And this is where I think fantasy managers need to be careful because the last few years, we saw A.J. Brown was a major hit in the second round. D.K. Metcalf looks just generally great. He was a second-round pick. Terry McLaurin went in the third round in his draft class. And I look, so I was really excited to see what the maybe the second or third round of receivers looked like. That was the, you know, the, the day I had. Uh, I was on staff to, uh, to write about the draft. It was the second and third round. So I was hoping some splashy stuff happened. We saw a handful of receivers go in that area, but... I saw a lot of slot guys, a lot of kind of gadgety players, a lot of players who you have to manufacture touches for. And not that these guys aren't talented, not that you know they don't run fast, not that they weren't productive in college. But if I think somebody's looking for the next AJ Brown or DK Metcalf, and maybe that's just an unfair comp because those guys are Pro Bowl level players. But I think if people think, oh, the second round, these guys are really first round picks and they're going to be stars, I think that might be a mistake. I think these guys might go collectively overdrafted as a group. But let's look at some of them individually. 
uh, you know, look, the Jets, they, they finally got rid of their quarterback. They got rid of their coach. They're starting over with a court with a quarterback now, a rookie quarterback who, who I, I think is going to be really good. But you got to get him some pieces. So they bring in Elijah Moore, who I guess is going to be their slot guy. Jamison Crowder was not the problem with the Jets, but, you know, I guess he, maybe he's just superfluous in the new version of this offense. And I th- also think Denzel Mims, if healthy, could be a really good player in year two. What did you think of Moore going to Gotham City? Yeah, first of all, it's a it's a really good point that you first made in your in the takeaways piece that you wrote uh, off the off the draft for Saturday. Like and and it's it's something that I, I Thor and I talked about again last week that that second tier at wide receiver this year, it, it just happened to be the way the class was shaped it is all slot guys. It's all little guys. It's just not there just wasn't very much size, which is why we ended up talking about like Nico Collins and, and Marshall with uh, with Thor. There's just not a lot of size in this class among the better prospects. The one guy who who really just sort of like his combat, his pro day numbers or whatever, sort of just sort of leap off the page to you is is Rondale Moore, who's like five seven, five eight, and is and is definitely a slot guy, right? So there's just no like physical freak of the of the DK Metcalf sort to be to be found here, who's just going to be that you know jump ball winning, deep route running, splash play guy on the outside. There, that, that just wasn't present in the in the second and third tiers of this draft at least at least in my view and I think it played out that way um Elijah Moore this is this is why I was talking and the, look look the Jets had a good draft and they they have a quarterback that they feel good about they have a running back they should feel good about and Elijah Moore's really good he's like a he's like the the weird you know the the rare sort of explosive slot receiver um he's a really fun player and now they have all these skill guys that are all that are all sort of on the same timeline but they do have a I mean, they got Jamison Crowder. And and now I, all I want to do is look around the league and find a new home for Jamison Crowder. Like That was my that was my takeaway on Elijah Moore. I really like him. Like, I think he can be really good. But as long as Jamison Crowder is on that roster, he's such a good like security blanket receiver. And I know he's not he's not the most explosive guy in the league, but he's just a living, breathing first down and, and a, a you know, a very competent pro. And there's a couple of teams out there like I don't know if if Jameson Crowder went to the Lions, he'd get 140 targets. If if Jameson Crowder went, not that he's not that the Jets are going to give him to the Patriots, but if he became a Patriot, he would certainly mm. be their number one receiver. God, um, they would need him. They'd love him. I I would love to see him on Kansas City, which all of a sudden oh, has gosh, a need yeah. for another reliable receiver. They're, they're very top heavy that offense right now. Yeah, and I think it was I think it was mutual friend Mike Salfino that was tweeting about you know man the Jets like right after the Moore pick the Jets should be looking for a third round pick for for Crowder because that guy's good like he's really good and he can you know he's a veteran he's he's run every route like he can help a he can help a great team right now I, I hadn't even you know Kansas City wasn't even one of those teams that I was looking at but of course like he would be such a great chief he, he can help anybody right now and apparently he's expendable which which surprises me. Well, I guess with Arizona taking uh, Rondell Moore out of Purdue, I guess they've admitted the Andy Isabella situation hasn't worked out. You like to see it. I'm torn on this because I like to see Arizona adding offensive skill talent. And, and I'll admit I was nervous when they added Hopkins and he was great right away. But I still don't trust Cliff Kingsbury. And I still think there's a lot of room for improvement with the passing game with Kyler Murray. Do you think Rondell Moore can be a fantasy factor in his first season? I do. I really do. Like I, I, I like this player a lot and, and difficult because it you have to really hearken back with Rondell Moore. Like he had his he had his superhero season in twenty eighteen. And and at this point, twenty eighteen feels like nineteen seventy five to me. That feels like a really long time ago. You know, that was 
a lot of stuff has gone down since 2018, but he was so great. Um, he was so great for Purdue right off the bat, over 100 catches, 1,200 yards, unstoppable player. Um, and and he's that guy who just athletically was absolutely off the charts. Um, it's all mitigated by the fact that he's like 5'6 or 5'7 or something like that. It's really, it's really small. But, you know, we're talking about a guy with a 40-plus inch vertical. We're talking about a guy with great speed. And he... I don't how to how to best phrase this. He fits what was wrong with Arizona's offense last year, which is, you know, sometimes they'd get super horizontal, right? And they they weren't, you know, it for as exciting as their as their skill players were, they didn't always do a lot of really exciting stuff and, you know, if if they're going to run a lot of that boring horizontal stuff, this is an explosive guy that that you can connect with and he can get you a lot of a lot of free and cheap yards. So I feel better, not that I felt bad about Kyler Murray before, because he's obviously one of those cheat code players at the quarterback position. But this is this is an explosive dude. I don't think he's going to come right in and be, you know, 80 catches and a thousand yards. I think he's probably initially and this is the way I, I spun him for the site when we had to do those quick react videos. Like, I think he's more of a best ball guy. I think he's going to have like three games that are sensational. I think he's going to have three games where we're like, oh, my God, this is the pickup of the year. And then the next week, he's like two catches for 30 yards. I think I, I think that's probably what you're going to get as a rookie. But long term, I like him a lot with Kyler. Looking at some of the other names of the receivers who went in this pocket, uh, Seattle took Western Michigan's Dwayne Eskridge, uh, who was in college, longer than Blutarski. I mean, I think he was five years at Western five Michigan. Years. He had some, some medical issues. I, and I'm always, I hate to think this way, but when anybody stays in college that long who's a prospect, it just makes me a little bit nervous. It felt like the the Rams were like somebody, you ever play in a keeper league where somebody just trades all of their draft picks to try to win a league, and then the next year they have like no draft picks? That was the Rams. I mean, yeah. Sean McVay could have played golf all week, and, and I don't think anybody would have really missed them. Uh, they finally stepped into the fray and took. Like all these other teams, they took a slot receiver, 2-2 Atwell. Carolina did actually get somebody who could profile as an outside receiver, Terrace Marshall Jr., who was part of that monster LSU passing offense of the last few years. So he already knows Joe Brady, had some injury concerns last year. But I think he may have the highest upside of everybody in this second round. Uh, Of these guys, is there anybody specific who catches your fancy? Or if you want to comment on all of them, go ahead. I give the board to you. Yeah, I don't. I don't think, you know, without multiple injuries that Eskridge can make really any noise next year. Like I didn't even, I didn't include him in my ranks. Like I was, you know, as, as we were going along through the draft, I was trying to plug all the receivers into my, my fantasy ranking somewhere. And I didn't even do anything with Eskridge. I, I just, you know, he, he too, because it's Seattle, he might have a couple of games where he pops, but, but realistically, that that's all Lockett and and Metcalf while they're healthy. So I don't. Let's think also he's remember like, last year at the end of the season they they kind of want they kind of took if they were letting this Russ cook for half a season they yeah. took the they took the kitchen away from him they went back yeah. to hey we fixed our defense hey we want to be balanced on offense hey Wilson's taking a lot of sacks let's let's not throw the ball forty five times a game this could be I I sense that Seattle want as their plan is as they're currently putting up the blueprint. They want to be one of the top 10 run-heavy teams in the league, maybe even one of the top five run-heavy teams in the league. And the idea that, yeah, we'll make splashy throws to Lockett and Metcalf, but we're, this idea of airing it out 40-plus times a game, that is not who we are. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So it's it's just really difficult to see a path um, while, you know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe he's the eventual replacement for Lockett. That's probably what they what they view him as. But I, but I don't think he can make a huge impact without injuries elsewhere uh, in, in 2021. I, like... At well, at some point you're too small, right? Like I don't think Devontae Smith is too small. I think he's going to be good. I, you know, hugely productive college player and all that. 
Atwell's like 149 pounds. And, and, you know, I don't know what he can be other than a, a sort of gadgety player um, and an occasional big play guy. It's, you know, he's fun. He's really fast. They're set at receiver without him. So I didn't, I didn't see this as a major need. I thought it was a little surprising. So I, I doubt he makes a lot of fantasy noise. Marshall to me is, is by far the most interesting. I assume that he fell this far because of the foot injury or some other unspecified medical condition that may have popped up late in the process. I don't know. He's better than, he's better than where he was picked. I know that. And it is a great sign that if you're, you know, if you're looking for good signals in terms of his health, it is a great sign that, that Joe Brady was presumably pounding the table for him, right? Like he has experience with him. Marshall, a, a player that popped a little bit alongside Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase at LSU. Like he, you know, he, he's, he's very impressive. He's one of the few guys in this class who has size. Um, he's got obviously a, a connection to his OC. So I like a lot about this. I, I really liked, you know, Sam Darnold is kind of a punchline of a player, but man, this, this Sam Darnold's had a really good few days. They, they picked up his fifth year option, which has to be a mm-hmm. good feeling, right? So he got, he got paid a little bit. He got a little, got a little bit more money. And then they, and then they add Marshall to a receiving core that's already really good. And they pick up um, one of the, one of the offensive linemen who, who gave Zach Wilson all that space, the kid out of BYU. So Christensen. So um, just, just a really good draft for Carolina for Sam Darnold's purpose. Not that, you know, but what does it mean? It means that I move Sam Darnold from like QB 28 to QB 25 or something like that. But there's also, there's also a guy who surprises us every year. There's a team that surprises us every year. And I like a little part of me thinks that maybe it could be Sam Darnold. I'm very open-minded to the idea that Sam Darnold could be good. First of all, my my big Darnold takeaway is we don't know what he is yet because he went to the Jets and everything that possibly could have gone wrong, total wrong coach at the time, the offensive line stunk, he had injuries, then he got mono of all things. You know, who, yeah. who gets mono in their 20s? This guy did. I did. I did. Okay. Well, you, you were always <laughs> kissing every, all the co-eds at Iowa. I'm sure that's what part of that was, but... <laughs> Yeah, the sorority, blame that on the sororities of, of the University of Iowa. I'll just leave it at that. But I caught every childhood disease in college, by the way. I got chicken pox in college. I got a lot of weird stuff in college. Really? Okay. okay. You were the injury, you were the injury, pro- I guess injury prone yep. was a real thing when you're talking about Barons. I, I hope you're able to write through it. Because writers, <laughs> you know, we're not, writers don't have sick days, Andy. No, I missed a lot of co-ed flag football because I had weird medical conditions. Yeah. I heard that's why, I, I thought they actually ran you off the team for some character <laughs> concerns, but I could be wrong on that. Darnold could not have a worse hand. He was basically handed the seven-two offsuit with the Jets, and now he goes to Carolina with a coach we like, with receivers we like. They traded Teddy Bridgewater. They did not draft another quarterback. I mean, I, I think we knew they probably weren't going to, but you know, until they don't do it, y- you know, it's at least a slight possibility. So we're going to find out if Sam Darnold's good or not. He's still younger than Joe Burrow. I don't hear anybody rushing to judgment on Joe Burrow after one season. Yeah. I. I think let's, I'm open-minded to the idea that Darnold could be a good NFL player, and I'm, I'm not giving up on him yet. Uh, just to clean up couple, some of the other receivers who were drafted uh, in the pockets where we have to consider them for fantasy, I don't know if anybody interests you here. Uh, Nico Collins went to the Texans. As far as I'm concerned, if they were to disband the Texans or just put them on hiatus for a year, I wouldn't mind. I don't think anybody would miss them. It's just a lot of things have gone wrong with that franchise. Um, I don't know how Green Bay is going to make it up to Aaron Rodgers, but they did draft Clemson's Amari Rodgers, same name. He's even got the D in it, so you know maybe they can they can get Aaron Rodgers off the game show circuit and get him back. Man, you must be having so much shot in front of with the with the Packers. I know you mentioned it earlier, and Detroit, who 
their receiving group is a factory of sadness. Um, not that Jared Goff <laughs> is going to elevate anybody. Uh, they, they did hook up with the USC receiver, Amon uh, St. Brown, Ross St. Brown. So maybe I'll have to go to Melissa Kasky, my my USC scout, and see what she <laughs> thinks about him. She, she was telling me when, when Juju Smith-Schuster came out, she was telling me to draft him on my fantasy teams. And of course, I ignored Melissa for a year or two. And by the time I locked in the Juju, I, I'd already missed the boom on that. So uh, nonetheless, I will be pinging Miss Kasky and seeing what she thinks about St. Brown. Uh, any of these guys tickle the fancy of Andy Barron's? I thought Green Bay would make a run at Elijah Moore. I was I was really surprised that didn't happen. That seemed natural and they didn't do it. It seemed like the sort of olive branch that you would want to extend to Aaron Rodgers if you're really serious about, you they're know. They're so stubborn, man. The more, yeah, the more people tell yeah. them they're wrong about their receiver plans with drafting them, they double down on being wrong. Yeah, and I maybe maybe they view the fact that they made, you know, they've now made a couple of really deep playoff runs that didn't get them to the Super Bowl. Maybe they view that as validation of their approach, whereas everybody else looks at it and says, my, my God, if you just would have drafted for need ever, you probably would have been there, right? You, you, that you would have been like you T. playing Higgins the on the Packers. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, that's what they've passed on. Like, right. it's it's shocking to me. And I like Alan Lazard, but he's clearly physically in terms of abilities not on the level of the the guys that we see going like late first early second round and i know this point's been made a million times but it's it's not just that the receivers that they've passed on but they've passed on them to take vanity picks that don't even help the team yes. right away you know yes. if they were say okay well we're, we're not going to take a receiver because we need this tackle we need this edge rusher we need this cornerback fine you're taking a clipboard holding quarterback who's not going to play and a third string running back who doesn't move the needle at all for your offense. I mean, he'll play more this year, but you, you were, you were making vanity picks. You're making like, Oh, we're all set. We'll just, you know, go down to like option 17. I, I don't know. I, I know this has been played out over and over again, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm of the 99% who throws up his hands and say, what the hell are the Packers doing? But yeah, hey, maybe Amari Rogers can, uh, can take a sad song and make it better. I, I will also say uh, of Detroit, this didn't this didn't do anything for me at all. And I, I know that some people were trying to make a case for St. Brown as somebody who's going to see a bunch of targets and maybe because the receiving core is terrible. But like, weirdly, I thought that Brashad Perriman was a was a winner uh, of, of of the draft because I don't I don't think there's anybody on Detroit's roster who uh, other than TJ Hawkinson is a is a threat. Terrell Williams is a nice theoretical player who has not been on the field a lot. And uh, there's nobody else there. So, like, as things stand right now, TJ Hawkinson is probably going to finish, if he's healthy this year, he's going to finish top three at his position in targets. And Rashad Perriman is going to see a target total that he probably doesn't deserve, which is why I think of this team as a, as a good spot for Crowder, because Crowder's targets would just be unlimited if he were a Lion. I will say this. Perriman's one of those guys I wish we could just do his career over with the injuries he's had, the bad luck he's had. He's been with, yeah. been with the fifth team he's been on. He flashed for a moment in Baltimore. He had that really nice finishing kick in Tampa Bay when everybody was hurt two years ago. Seemed like he was hurt from the, the moment he landed with the Jets. So I, I just like to see him once have a full season, get 125 targets, and let's figure out if this guy can play or not. He's a he's a uh, candidate, not that this really ever happens, but he's a candidate to do one of those Brandon Lloyd seventh or eighth year breakouts someday if he ever gets himself in the right situation. Right. Well, I mean, we saw Devontae Parker do that, kind of have the yeah you know, late, late in career breakout. And now he may be the number three receiver on that loaded Miami roster. I guess we're going to find out finally if two is any good because he's got all the toys to play with. Not a lot of juice uh, for the quarterbacks after the first round. Of course, we're going to look back to this draft, five first round quarterbacks and three 
up front. So there's going to be a lot of talk. There's already been a lot of talk about those guys. We'll continue to talk about them. And of course, we talked about Fields and Mac Jones earlier. Just in passing, and we don't need to go deep on any of this, but uh, the Buccaneers, um, with the idea that Tom Brady may not play till he's 60, they took Kyle Trask, staying in state with Florida. Minnesota took Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond around uh, three. So I, I guess Cousins, you know, again, maybe a year or two left there, and then, then they move on. So they, they a, a guy you're looking to, I think most teams would like quarterbacks to play right away because of the contract is so cheap. It allows you to do other things. But these guys are obviously development quarterbacks. We don't know what's going to happen in Houston with Deshaun Watson. They took Stanford's Davis Mills uh, with their first pick in a, in a draft where they didn't have a lot of picks. They were basically playing golf with Sean McVay for two days. So I, I don't know if Trask, Mond, or Mills interest you in Dynasty or you, you have a sweet spot for any of these guys, but uh, I'll throw it over to you. Well, the the biggest thing we learned from this because Houston took Mills it, is that they they really don't expect Deshaun Watson to ever play another game from, for them. Like I, I And, you know, I kind of a in a, in the just initial set of ranks that we had to do, I, I Deshaun Watson is obviously it's fraught, right? It's a very difficult conversation because we don't know what goes on with like these. Two, there's like two, two dozen allegations against him, right? He's got he's got serious legal issues. He wanted out of Houston before any of that popped up. I mean, the the Mills pick just tells you that Houston has no um, has no plans for Deshaun Watson to play quarterback for them again. I think like there, I was obviously I'm watching a lot of the draft coverage as it went along. And from, from what I've seen of Mills, I was never wowed by him. I thought he, I thought he had a tendency to lock in on his guys. And I also thought that some of his best moments on the field were when he was digging his team out of the hole that he put them in sometimes, right? Like there was a little bit of that, like, I don't know. I don't I don't love him. I get that the Texans had to use that pick on a on a quarterback that they liked in some way. And so that I just think that's what it tells you that that the Watson situation like I, I took Watson from like a placeholder rank. I think I had him like 16 or 17 and I just put him at the bottom. Like I don't I don't know that we're going to see him at all anywhere this year. And I, I seriously doubt that we're going to see him in Houston. So I I thought that was the the big takeaway there. Maybe other people already felt that way, but I, I hadn't quite committed to it. And now I've pretty much committed to it. Um, I think Trask is interesting. He's obviously, if, if Trask has to play in 2021, it, it's either, you know, the final game of the season and they've wrapped up everything they can wrap up or something really wrong has has happened he had a great year with a great supporting cast, right? And I think he, I think he's one of these, he's probably ends up one of these guys who needs everything to fall into place and he needs the great supporting cast and he needs protection and he needs all that. But, but if you give it to him, the numbers can follow. So he, he's kind of interesting. Mond, uh, obviously not somebody who's going to make an impact this year or next, I would think. I, I wish I could credit this to the, its proper source, but I, one of the draft analysts on either NFL Network or ESPN, I don't know, I was bouncing around, had like some, some, it was probably Lewis Riddick had some good insight on him in, in that like w- when things were going bad for Mond, it was because his feet and his head were, were in very different places, right? Like they weren't, they just weren't in sync. The eyes and the feet weren't in sync and that happens to him. But I, he strikes me as somebody that you could coach up and he could become a really fun fantasy asset down the road. He's, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in him. If you're in a, if you're in a dynasty league where you don't care what happens to these guys next year and you just want a guy to stash, you know, as a, as a late round rookie draft dynasty pick, I think Mond is a little bit interesting. It's funny. I mean, some of the ways you're describing him, it maybe seemed like you were describing cousins where cousins is talented (laughs) enough to be in the NFL, but he really does need the pieces around him. 
I did think Minnesota drafted well. I think they yeah. always are very value-based in their drafts, and they take guys who fall, and I think they could be a good market play to maybe win that division. I mean, look, Chicago and Detroit are rebuilding. I, I don't see how anybody can dispute that, and maybe there's a big problem with the Packers who have outkicked their Pythagorean the last two years. They've been really fortunate with wins and, and probably just gotten more of their share of victories than you would think with the component stats. I think the Vikings should be a good value in the betting markets. I'm going to explore that in the next few weeks. Because, look, as far as I'm concerned, I don't start looking at futures and I don't start doing, like, best ball drafts and everything until the NFL draft happens. I think it's just a little bit too crazy to do this blind without knowing how much personnel is going to shift, who's going to draft what. So I'm going to really dig into that in the next few weeks. And, of course, we'll be talking about, I'm sure, a lot of that on this podcast in coming episodes. Uh, we're running a little bit low on time with uh, Andy Barons today on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. So let's zip through this a little bit quickly. Fantasy, just give me a, who won the draft for fantasy. I, whether it be a team, a player, a, 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 a position at a team. and just, just give me a draft winner, Andy. If we're just purely thinking for fantasy purposes, I don't know how you don't like this for... Uh, I, in fact, I'll start at the top of the quarterback ranks. I actually moved Lamar Jackson to my QB1. And not that they took some superstar receiver, but I think the combination of Bateman and Wallace, those were great ads. We've obviously seen Lamar finish as the QB1. I, I had him like QB3, but I really like what what Baltimore added around him. Um, so I think he has a couple of additional weapons that are pretty nifty. Not going to surprise me if Lamar gives us 30 passing touchdowns this year and his usual thousand rushing yards, which is just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I was already high on Lamar. I like him a little bit more. Joe Burrow was was I think a pretty clear winner because he's reunited with the the best receiver in the draft class who he also happens to have a great deal of rapport with. Um, I think that's great. They also address you know you can quibble about the order in which they address tackle and and wide receiver, but they did address the offensive line it. and and receiver. So they now have like I don't know who's got a better trio of receivers. Not that many teams. Um, Dallas, I guess, but like. I mean, Boyd, Higgins, and, and Chase, that's a that's a hell of a trio. So I, I like the weapons there. Justin Herbert, I like I like what the Chargers did. Not not that they had like splash ads or anything like that, but that's another team that's sort of building from the inside out and and I like his situation now as well. Yeah, the Chargers are another team. I think I mentioned this with Sammy Reed two weeks ago. I, I think they're a great value to maybe I, look if done to head, I'd have to pick the Chiefs, but when you consider what the odds are, I think the Chargers are probably the best value in the AFC West. So I'm really interested in that. I mentioned Darnold. I want to just mention him again. He's got all the stuff to make him successful. If he can't succeed now, it's on him. Or he's gotten mono again or chicken pox again or whatever <laughs> it is. He's having the Andy Barron's Iowa medical uh, you know, purse <laughs> has, has hit Sam Darnold. But I think things are set up well for him to succeed. I don't know if it's a winner or a loser. I can spin this either way. I just I feel like we should just talk briefly about Tennessee. You know, they lost Corey Davis. They lost Johnny Smith. So Derrick Henry, many carries you can take. A.J. Brown, remember, I used to rail about how they never gave A.J. Brown double-digit targets. I think he has like two double-digit targets in his career or three, some really low number. And I'm just like, this guy should be peppered with targets the moment he gets off the bus. He's one of those, even when he's not open, he's open. Well, that's going to happen now. Unless Josh Reynolds is the most hidden talent in the history of the NFL. So, is it is it a winner or a loser for you know for Tannehill and the Titans? Obviously, they lost Arthur Smith, who was a, a really sharp coordinator there. I think it's going to be really good for AJ Brown. I think it's going to be Henry's going to be Henry, but I worry about the overall efficiency. One thing I think that sneaks up on people for fantasy is even though we want our best players to get the most opportunity, 
you need the buoyancy, the octane of the offense to keep you moving the ball. And yeah. I, I just wonder if, as great as Henry and Brown are, if the other pieces of the offense aren't good, maybe they're, you know, they're not going to be scoring anywhere near the points. And this becomes like the number 18 offense in the NFL. When the last couple of years, you know, Tannehill's red zone stats have been unbelievable. They've been so efficient at scoring points. So I really could put them in either category. I, what, what was your takeaway about Tennessee as they stand right now? Yeah, I feel bad that I didn't actually mention Josh Reynolds as a winner because I actually I like it's not that I think he's a star or some emerging star, but can he do what Corey Davis just did? He can probably get close to that. He's going to have to like between Smith and Davis. That's 150 targets, 150 plus targets that that have been vacated there and they can't all go to A.J. Brown like I, a lot of them can. Right. Maybe even half of them can. I don't know. Maybe A.J. Brown is all of a sudden the most heavily targeted receiver in the league or close to it. But the rest of them got to go somewhere. So I think I think it was a, a, a sort of ringing endorsement of of Josh Reynolds and to some extent Anthony Ferkser. Right. Like that. That's what they're rolling with because they didn't. <laughs> They, they didn't add really any any viable competition for those guys. And there's nobody that you can add in free agency at this point that is going to. You know, what's them. funny about Ferkser. I know he in some areas, he's a little bit of a punchline. I think he's going to become what John o. Smith was the totally boring. Nobody's excited to draft him. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. Hey, I just got 658 yards and five or six touchdowns out of the guy. He was perfectly playable, credible. He's not he's not obviously an upside with Ferkser. But I think he's going to be somebody who, if he's on a fantasy roster, you may plug him in, you know, two thirds of the season. I think he's going to be in the circle of trust, albeit, you know, whatever the tight end 11 is worth isn't really worth all that much. But I, I think he's going to be somebody who's on fantasy rosters. Most well, I was going to say the numbers you just threw out there usually make somebody like the tight end eight, you know, yeah. like if it's just touchdowns, like if you score seven touchdowns, you're definitely going to be a top 10 fantasy tight end. There aren't so many of them. Lord knows there weren't any of them last year. You know, that usually you squeak into the to the back end of the top 10 that way. Talking with Andy Barons today, I'm Scott Pianowski, the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. We had a blast with three days of the NFL draft. Now, look, hey, get over to Yahoo Fantasy. Our football game is ready to go. We have the best award-winning app, easiest, most intuitive interface to uh, to do your fantasy football stuff. So I hope you have fun with that. And if you're into podcasts, man, we got plenty of them. Uh, Liz Loza and Eric Edholm have been doing great pre-draft work. Now they're doing great post-draft work, and they'll be back later this week on this program want to listen to them if you're into the college game the yahoo sports college podcast with dan wetzel pete thamel and our old friend pat 40 they've been running their three three man weave for years uh you know they've been they've been in college even longer than blue tarski and they just do a great job <laughs> with that program uh, if you're an nba fan and, and who isn't these days what a fun league it is posted up with chris haynes gives you more in-depth conversation in the world of the nba he's gonna be talking with kevin love this week you're gonna want to check that one out long, long Kevin Love fan back to his UCLA days. So hang out with those guys. Of course, we're social at Yahoo Fantasy. You can catch us on Yahoo Fantasy, Scott underscore Pianowski, Andy Behrens over on Twitter, and Brett Rader, our fearless producer for all your big brother podcast needs. You want to hang out with him. He also loves start sick questions, so don't be afraid to throw him one of those. <laughs> position eligibility questions, that's what he loves. Ask him all of your <laughs> position eligibility questions, please. Or if you're in a Brett, if you're in a Big Brother fantasy league, I'm, I'm sure Brett has the big board that you'd have to draft off. I, I wouldn't use anything else for that. But uh, for Brett, for Andy, I am Scott. Liz and Eric are coming back in a few days. Hope your team killed the draft like the, the Bears did. For now, we are out. <laughs> <laughs>